0: friends, welcome. I'm Andrew Hicks, and you're listening to the Text and Context Podcast. It is so good to be with you. Uh, I think I've met most of you, just in case. Hi, I'm Andrew. Uh, Andrew Hicks. I'm the pastor of the Church of Christ that meets next door. Uh, really honored that John asked me to, to fill in for him today. Um, have you ever been... Just so caught up in your own thing that you missed the blaringly obvious? Is this just me? I I mean, I tell you, uh, there there could be a place, like the entire building could be on fire. And I wouldn't notice because I was busy looking at something else or worrying about something else. Anybody else? I actually, in college one time, I slept through a fire alarm at 4 a.m. I'm a heavy sleeper. So, yeah. No, looking forward to having my first baby. Um, Yeah, I slept through a fire alarm, 4 a.m. My roommate woke, I woke up to my roommate. He's like a linebacker kind of sized guy. And I wake up to my roommate slugging me as hard as he can saying, Wake up, you're scaring me. Apparently I went outside, but I don't remember any of it. Um, I was still kind of groggy and half asleep. Sometimes the blaringly obvious is just right there and you're missing it. It's a blaring siren right there in front of you. Or maybe, um, maybe just maybe we need to train ourselves to be a little bit more perceptive. I have a video that I wanna show you. This is an awareness test. How many passes does the team in white make? Go! Is thirteen. Wait for it. Did you see the moonwalking bear? <laughs> Look for it, it's right in the middle. Sometimes there's something blaring. Obvious, right in front of you, and you're not seeing it. There's something about training your perception to see, and you tend to find what you're looking for. And so, if you're counting the passes of the white team, how many actually got the, the 13? Good for you. Did anybody actually? Okay, has anyone seen that before previously? A few people. Yeah. So you knew it was there. But anybody who hasn't seen it before, did you notice the moonwalking bear? No. You did. You have fantastic awareness. Maybe you should be preaching this one. Um, yeah. Man, I can tell you, that is so true for my life in general, that there are often times when the Lord is a big moonwalking bear, if you'll pardon the metaphor, right in the middle of my life, and I am just doing my own thing and I'm not even noticing. And frankly, sometimes we can get that way with scripture too. You ever do that with scripture? You just read it because you're reading it, but then you're reading over it and it's like there's so much stuff there. One of my favorite questions to ask in Bible study And one that I think is the most important you can ask is, yeah, but why? So you read something, and it gives some obscure extra detail. So, of course, you're supposed to ask yourself, okay, great, but why? Yes, but why? Look with me this morning in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to look at a text, and we're just going to soak in the text. We're going to make sure that we don't miss any moonwalking bears in the text this morning, yeah? So this is Mark chapter 6, starting in verse... 30, and we're going to, we're going to slow walk through the text. Verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Pause. We made it long earlier in Mark chapter six. The disciples were just sent out by Jesus in pairs of two to go and teach and cast out demons. And now they're coming back to Jesus and like giving him a mission report. Okay, they just went on a mission trip as pairs of twos all around Galilee. Now they're coming back, and so they're having a come to Jesus meeting, literally. And they are now uh, they're they're telling him everything. It's basically like a like a holy pep rally. Okay, I mean they're like, oh, it was crazy. Matthew was casting out demons, and then James got up and preached this sermon. It was crazy. Jesus, that's what's going on. Okay, you with me? Okay, the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. Verse thirty-one. He said to them. Come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. They're busy. Ministry is busy. And they don't even have time to. You ever been so busy you don't even have time to eat? You know that you are on the edge of a breakdown if you're going long periods of time without taking time to take care of yourself by the simple act of eating. Jesus is really. Here's what Jesus is saying. Come on. You guys have had a long mission trip. Let's get away together. Let's take a little weekend getaway, a little lake trip on Galilee. Okay, and we'll just get away. We'll swim in the lake. I'll, I'll provide some food, you know, bread and fish. It's easy. And, and we'll, just, we'll just hang out. It'll be great. It'll be great. Anybody else want to take a weekend trip away with Jesus? Everybody. Of course you do. And then um, keep reading. Uh, verse 32 And they went away in the boat to a deserted place by themselves. Verse 33 Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. <laughs> you saw what just happened, right? Okay, so Galilee's not a big lake. Okay, I've been on the Lake of Galilee. I can stand on one shore and see every other end of it. It's not very big, it's apparently small enough. That some people can see them starting and run to the other side before they row there. You're with me. Okay, here's what's happening. They're, they're standing at the a distance. They're like, I think that's Peter. I think that's John. And there's Jesus. Hey, I think they're going right over there. Let's go meet him. And then they run ahead, of the, run ahead of them. You ever had people who just invite themselves to the party? You know what I'm saying? And then get this. So notice, many saw them and recognized them and hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. From all the towns. Get this. Verse 34, as he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. Starts as many, then it's through all the towns, then there's a great crowd. You caught that, right? They're running, and as they go, they're stopping by, and they're like, hey, where are you guys going? We're going to see Jesus. Oh, we'll come too. And it's just like gathering more and more. It's the biblical equivalent of that phenomenon in the sitcom when you're not supposed to have a party while mom and dad are gone, but you do anyway. And then you say, well, we'll only have the few. Don't invite any friends. And before you know it, the cops are called and the house is packed. And you know what I'm saying? It's like that. It just multiplies. And now they get Jesus gets off the boat. There's a great crowd. Verse 34. And he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Okay, what question should I ask? Yeah, but why? Has compassion on them. Did they just look like the kind of people that need compassion? Are they, I mean, that's interesting. He steps off the boat and immediately has compassion because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Just has compassion. And the way he has compassion, is by teaching them. I don't know about you, but when I think of compassion, I think of like going to build a home with Habitat for Humanity, serving in the soup kitchen, doing church under the bridge, you know, something like that. But Jesus gets off the boat and he says, oh, you poor people, get out your notebooks and pens, we're starting class. And he starts lecturing. What? Apparently that's how Jesus has compassion. He just starts lecturing, which means that, you know, as a preacher, I love that. And he begins to teach them many things. Notice why he has compassion, though. Do you notice that little phrase? What a specific phrase. Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. Now, I am not at all what you would call an outdoorsman. By any stretch of the imagination. My wife is the outdoorsman in this family. But I'm given to understand that sheep are really dumb. Can anybody verify that? I'm getting to understand sheep are really, really dumb That basically if they don't have someone Constantly caring for them, watching over them They're probably just going to get themselves killed You with me? These poor people Are like sheep without a shepherd Also, shepherd, man Sounds like a really important Concept in the Bible I feel like I've heard this concept in scripture Somewhere before Wasn't like Abraham a shepherd or something And and Moses, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, Moses was a shepherd. And in fact, he was, and David, of course, Moses was like the great shepherd of Israel, right? That was the main image used. And in fact, over and over again, Moses has compassion on the people of Israel because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Maybe someone greater than Moses is here. Maybe a shepherd greater than Moses is here to shepherd God's people. You remember Moses had to go up on Mount Sinai to get the commandments to teach the people to have compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What's Jesus doing? He's just teaching. He doesn't have to go up on the mountain first. Maybe the mountain's coming down to them. I'm getting ahead of myself. Getting ahead of myself. The shepherd. Also, pastors. You know the word pastor is just a fancy word for shepherd, right? It's like it's an an image of someone who looks after the sheep. Someone who looks after the sheep. And what's really fascinating is, as much as we like to think of ourselves as the fancy pastors, yes, Um, ultimately, we're not it. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in. Yeah, hold on to that for a sec. Just hold on to that. Tuck that away and hold on to it. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Let's keep reading. Verse 35, when it grew late, did you catch that? He's been lecturing all day. That's a lot of compassion. His disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now very late. Hear the agitation in their voice. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. Let me translate that for you. Jesus, this was supposed to be our weekend getaway with you and you're ruining it. I'm glad that you're having compassion on the people, and that's great. But we were supposed to hang out. This was supposed to be our bro time with Jesus, our weekend getaway with Jesus. Would anybody else be upset if somebody, a big crowd ruins your weekend getaway with Jesus? Everybody would be. Oh, he's been teaching all day. And I wonder if Jesus got repetitive. You know how teachers and preachers get repetitive. I wonder if they're like, yeah, yeah, the Beatitudes. We've heard this before. Can we move on? You know what I'm saying? I mean, bless their hearts. Bless their hearts. Ah. And then listen to what Jesus says, verse 37, but he, Jesus answered them, you give them something to eat. Now listen to their response. And they said to him, are we going to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? It's in the Greek. Just trust me. You just got to read between the lines. They're being snarky with Jesus. The disciples and Jesus enjoyed a fair amount of good, healthy, relational back and forth. They really did. Because Jesus doesn't seem fazed by this. He just kind of keeps going. Verse 38, and he said to them, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, well, we got five loaves and two fish. Okay, now, I need your help because I'm a preacher, not a mathematician. Five Loaves plus two fish would be what, what's five plus two again? Seven. Is that a good Bible number? Yeah. It's the number of days that God used to create the world, it's really the Hebrew number of completion. All they've got is five loaves and two fish. Oh, yeah, but they got everything that they're going to need and more. Because whenever the Messiah is your caterer, you're always going to have everything you need. Oh, they have everything they need, even though it looks like they don't. Five loaves, two fish. Then he ordered them, he, Jesus, ordered them, the disciples, to get all the people to sit down in groups on the green grass. Oh, okay. Too much there. What's my question? Yeah, but why? Okay, let's start with the first one. He had them sit them down. Jesus is putting the disciples to work. This isn't a a buffet. This is fine dining. When you are with the Messiah, you always get table service. That's what they're doing. You go sit them down. You've ever been to a really fancy restaurant. They're doing that thing where they have the towel draped over their arm for no apparent reason. And they're like, hello, table for four. Right this way. I have a great little patch of grass here. Yes, that's what they're doing. He's putting them to work. Why doesn't Jesus just hand it out? I think it's because the pastor loves to get other pastors involved. He loves to distribute the food through his other shepherds, his co-shepherds, his under-shepherds. And he wants to get them to work. So he orders them to get the people to sit down in groups. Okay, groups. That seems pretty straightforward. If only it were. Groups. Why not just have a seat, have fun? I mean, groups. Hmm. Huh. The Greek word is symposia. It's the word for a banquet. Sit them down in little banquet tables. I told you when the Messiah is your caterer, we go all out. When the Messiah is your caterer, you will have everything you need and more. When the Messiah is your caterer, we are not doing fast food boxed meals from Schlachkeys. We are going all out. We're gonna. I mean, if it were in Texas, it would be brisket and I don't just brisket, mainly. And they would serve it at the nice banquet tables. This is a banquet. But then he has them sit down on the green grass. Are you following me yet? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to. Ah. Uh, huh. The shepherd greater than Moses may just be in the house. Let's keep reading. Verse 40, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. Okay, what's my question? Yeah, but why? Why not thousands and thirties? Why not uh, forties and thirties? I don't know. That's oddly specific, isn't it? Hundreds and fifties. Why hundreds and fifties? Is it just like that's the best way to distribute the bread and the fish? Is there something about the ancient world that I'm misunderstanding? Is in like, that's just how you distribute bread and fish? Probably not. Hundreds and 50s. Uh, whenever I preached a sermon before, someone said, "Well, just cause, that's an option? <laughs> just cause. I don't God can do what he wants. But the nerd in me is just not going to let it go. You remember that shepherd, Moses, and Moses was the one shepherd who oversaw the entire flock of Israel. You remember Israel was like in the millions at one point, right? Can you imagine being the one dude that has to be the, uh, the judge for every dispute, regardless of the level of dispute? I mean, he's dealing with murder trials and, hey, my brother-in-law hurt my feelings. He's dealing with both ends of the spectrum. Everybody comes to Moses. You with me? And so Moses is griping to his father-in-law, Jethro. And he's like, this is crazy. It's way too much work for one man. I'm going to die. Why did God put me up to this? And Jethro says, well, Moses, why don't you just appoint some helpers? And it's like they can help you kind of, you know, you do like the really big stuff and then you kind of just oversee the other folk, you know, appoint some co-pastors kind of thing. Oh, OK, says says, great. Well, how would you propose I do that? And Jethro says, yeah, put them set like so many men and put them in charge of groups of thousands and of hundreds and of fifties. OK, we don't have the thousands. There's only 5000 people there, but you got the hundreds and fifties. Just like Moses, Jesus is putting to work his other shepherds. Always find a pastor who works for the pastor, by the way. Always find a pastor who works for the capital P pastor. And who's being sent out to feed the flock by him. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Verse 41. Taking the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. Did you catch that? Gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They're the waiters. And let's see. And he divided the two fish among them all, and everybody ate and was satisfied. Everybody ate and was satisfied. When the Messiah is your caterer, you'll have all you need and need all you have. He'll provide everything you need and more. I told you, there's seven. We got a seven in there. And where there's a seven, the Messiah will provide all you need and more. And he always does. All ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. So before I moved here to Texas, I've only been here since January, by the way. I haven't been here. If you were like, who is this Church of Christ pastor guy? I haven't been here long. It's fine. But um, I only moved here in January. I lived in South Carolina, and I was a high school Bible teacher for about a year and a half. And um, I was teaching Mark, my favorite gospel. And I was teaching this section, I was trying to get them to see like, you know, 12, like that's a good Bible number, like 12 tribes and 12 apostles, you know, I was trying to get them to see that. And so we're like going on and on, finally they got it. But then this one kid raises his hand and I say, yes, and he says, they're to-go boxes. I was like, of course they are. What else would they be? They're to-go boxes. That seems so obvious now. Oh, I gave him a hug. I was so excited. Twelve baskets full. They're to go. Anybody ever worked an event before? Yeah. You know that if you work an event, you are not the first to eat. You are not even the second to eat. You are the last to eat. Because you have to make sure everybody else has been served. Everything else is done. Everybody's doing what they're supposed to. They never do. And you're trying to make sure everything is perfect. And then after it's all over, you have a little part that was set aside for you. And then you get to eat it. They're to go boxes. Oh, I love that. Oh, they're to-go boxes. Of course they are. To-go boxes. Bless their hearts. My question is, have they eaten yet? They didn't even have time to eat. And now they have to have to-go boxes. Bless their hearts. They've had a long day. They just want to eat. I mean, Jesus is pulling one on them. I mean, seriously. Good mess, Jesus. Verse 44, those who had eaten the loaves numbered 5,000 men. Men. Again, I'm a preacher, not a mathematician. Let's assume that each one of those men is married. Then how many do you have? 10. 10,000. Let's assume each one of them has one kid. A conservative estimate for this world. How many people would you then have? We have upwards of 15,000 people there that he just fed. Wow. Five loaves and two fish. He had all he needed. Does your Bible have a a break between verses 44 and 45? Terrible. (laughs) You know that the headings are not inspired, right? You're aware of this. Um, They were added in there by editors. They're not not inspired. Because look at verse 44. Immediately he, Jesus, made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Did you catch that? You guys have had a long day. I'm sorry. I know we were supposed to have our weekend getaway and the crowd came and I I felt sorry. for. Look, take your to-go boxes, get in the boat, go on. I'll sweep up, mop up, put the chairs up, wipe off the tables, turn off the lights and lock the door. You go ahead. You got that, right? That's what he's doing. Go on ahead. Bless your hearts. Bless your hearts. He has compassion on them too, just in a different way. And after saying farewell to them, he, Jesus, went up on... The mountain to pray. Oh, did you catch that? You have to catch that, because if you miss that, then eh, nothing else in this makes sense. He went up on the mountain. Of course, if if Mark was here, the gospel author Mark were here, and I were talking to him, and I said, Well, Mark, um, which mountain? I think Mark would look at me and say, you know, the mountain. I think he'd wink at me. I think that's what he's doing. The biblical authors wink from time to time. You just gotta, I'm telling you, there's a dancing bear right in front of your, your face. The mountain. The mountain. Which mountain? You know, the mountain. Think with me for a moment. Is there any mountain in scripture that just seems to loom large as if it's like the quintessential place you go to meet God and receive teaching? And Yeah, Sinai. The shepherd greater than Moses is here. He's already taught them before he even had to go up on the mountain. But he still ascends the mountain. The shepherd greater than Moses is in the house. Verse 47. When evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land. When he saw that they, the disciples, were straining at the oars against an adverse wind, he came towards them early in the morning. These disciples cannot catch a brick. I, I mean, they just want to eat lunch or dinner. They haven't even had either meal, frankly. They just want to eat. Then they're supposed to just go across the pond. I'm telling you, Galilee's super small, so if there's an adverse wind that they've been at this since evening and now it's early morning, it's a pretty bad wind. How long have they been rowing out there? Good grief. These guys can't catch a break. I tell you. And he, Jesus, came towards them early in the morning, walking on the sea. Walking on the sea. This is complete and utter conjecture. I have no way to prove this, and I would never come down hard on this as if this was definitively, absolutely true. But just use your sanctified imagination with me for just a moment, okay? Just use your sanctified imagination. Jesus is walking on the water. Anybody go to Sunday school when they were kids? Yeah. Have you ever seen those pictures they put up of those things? Is the water at all, like turbulent when Jesus is walking on it? No! But he hasn't calmed the sea yet. So, I mean, I don't imagine Jesus is like, whoa, hold on, guys, coming over there. I mean, I don't imagine that's what's going on. I don't think he's tripping over the waves. So so bear with me. If the waves are, you know, they're they're crashing, they're, they're capping, right? If that's the case and Jesus is walking on the water and I don't imagine he's tripping, what's happening to the water around him? If Jesus... Hold on. If Jesus is walking up to a wave that's crashing towards him, what would that wave do? Huh. Huh. Is there anything in the Bible about Moses splitting waves or a river or the Red Sea? I feel like that's in there. I I tell you, I should have gone to a better seminary. Uh, Yeah. I can't prove it. It makes good sense. He hasn't called the sea yet. And look at the little phrase at the end of verse 48. He intended to pass them by. What? I'm not, that's in your Bible. You can look. I'm not making this up. Okay, that's a major gap, yeah, but why? Is this like Jesus is intending? Hey, guys, I'm just going to, you know, they're, they're fine. They're fine. He intended to pass them by? Is this like he's tripping over the waves like we were talking about? Like, oh, maybe I'll, I don't know if I can get over there. What is in, intended to pass by? This is Jesus! Of course he wants to have compassion on the people. Tends to pass them by. Tends to pass them by. I think you're picking up on what I'm doing. Where do you think we might find that phrase in Scripture? We find that phrase in scripture at Mount Sinai. Moses says, Yahweh, show me your glory. And Yahweh puts him up in the cleft of the rock. And then because he's about to walk by him so Moses can see his glory. The text says Yahweh intended to pass him by. Keep going. Elijah also got to see the glory of the Lord. Guess what the text says there? He intended to pass Elijah by so he could see his glory. Church, Jesus is in the house. Yahweh's glory is about to show up on the scene. The shepherd greater than Moses is here. He doesn't have to ask to see Yahweh's glory because he is Yahweh's glory. (sighs) He intended to pass them by. Verse 49. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Translation. They were terrified like little babies. (gasps) Ghosts. Oh, man. It's a ghost. That's the most reasonable explanation in this scenario. Not even like a spirit or a demon ghost. That's the first one they go to. That's the first one. It's been a long day. Have they slept even at this point? You got to feel so. blessed. their hearts. Bless their hearts. Verse 50. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Oh... Yeah, but why? Each one of those phrases, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Significant phrases that Yahweh said to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. Let's start with the last one. Take heart, Uh, not take heart, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Uh, You remember Joshua, the book of Joshua? Uh, If you go into the the Church of Christ Sanctuary, the fellowship room, and and you look on the the wall, be like right there. Uh, There's a little wooden panel that has this verse painted on it from Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord goes with you each and every day. You remember this. Did you know, by the way, did you know that the phrase, do not be afraid, is the most repeated phrase in Scripture? I mean, it's kind of like what Sarah was talking about today. You would assume it's like, hey, be better, do better. That's the way I've heard some preachers preach it. Like, that's the assumption that that would be what most of Scripture says. Actually, the most repeated phrase is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And over and over again, God says this to his people. Take heart, have courage, everything's going to be good. But that middle phrase, it is I. Barf. What a terrible translation. I, if you get me started on translation stuff, we're going to be here all day. Don't get me started. But I have to talk about this. Because literally, in Greek, it is I am. You with me? Let me read that again, but, you know, actually translated well. Take heart, I am, do not be afraid. You with me? Yahweh is out there in the water. That's the name that Yahweh gave to Moses. Who shall I tell Pharaoh that sent me? Tell them I am sent you. Who is? I am. Exactly. I am. Take heart, I am, do not be afraid. Verse 51. Then he got into the boat with them. And the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Pause. Take the verse off the screen and don't look at your Bibles. Look at me. They're utterly astounded. Why would you think they're utterly astounded? If you already know the answer, please don't say Why are they utterly astounded? Why would you assume the disciples are utterly astounded? Uh, yeah, because Jesus just said 5,000 plus people. 15,000 or more. And then he just is walking on the water. Maybe it's parting around him. And then he just... He intended to pass them by. The glory of Yahweh is walking right by them. And then Yahweh. Hops in the boat with them. So of course they're utterly astounded. (laughs) Oh. But read the text. Verse 52. They were utterly astounded. For they did not understand. About the bread. But their hearts were hardened. That's in the Bible people. I couldn't make that up if I wanted to. You with me? Also, their hearts were hardened. Whose heart was hardened in the Moses story? Pharaoh, after I am was revealed to him. Hmm. They're utterly astounded. Whoa! But the bread. You caught that. I imagine they have their to-go boxes in their lap still. And they're opening the little styrofoam lid. And they're going... Wow, that was crazy. But the bread, though. You caught that. Oh. You're missing it. Church, it's not about the bread. It's not about the bread. Yahweh just hopped in the boat with the people and they're worrying about the bread. Throw the bread overboard. He can make more. Yahweh is in the boat with you. Seriously, I know they've had a long day, but goodness, I oh, you know, it's easy to look at the disciples and be really critical of them because, of course, today we don't know of any Christians who focus on things other than Jesus and make it all about the other stuff, right? We know nobody who focuses on the bread instead of focusing on Jesus. Or actually, many of us have been terribly, terribly hurt by people who were focusing on the bread when they should have been focusing on Jesus. We have been hurt by many a pastor who were too focused on the bread and not focused enough on the capital P pastor. I have been. A lot of us have been. focused on the capital P pastor. Sometimes we have to train ourselves to be more aware. Sometimes there is a dancing bear in the middle of it, and we're missing it. Church, it's not about the bread. Now, I'm Church of Christ. Okay, don't judge me. And, <laughs> and uh, I once sat in an elders meeting for 45 minutes, not here, for 45 minutes, And what were we talking about? Were we talking about how we can bring people into a greater sense of God's presence? Were we talking about, what can we preach that will really strengthen the faith of the people? Were we talking about anything like mission or, or missions or anything like that? No. 45 minutes on what kind of chair we should buy to replace the one that this man with a bad back sat in in the back. One person says... I like this plaid color here. It looks pretty good. The next people say, no, that would be too distracting during our worship time. This goes on for 45 minutes. (laughs) I won't give you the the meeting minutes because trust me, you don't want them. They were focused on the bread. They weren't focused on Jesus. You see, um, I'm just going to say something that I've kind of been hinting at the whole time. Eventually, we have to trade in our childhood idea of Jesus for the actual person of Jesus. Because the truth is, Jesus is not this little caricature on a planet board. He is your Lord and Messiah. He is Yahweh in flesh. And He wants, He wants to be in your life. And we should fall down at His feet. Throw the bread overboard. Fall down at Yahweh's feet. Be terrified and worship in amazement at Him. Forget about the bread. Forget about the bread. We focus on such trivial things. Eventually, we got to trade in for the adult Jesus. And here's one of the things I mean. God does amazing and wonderful things in this world back in the day of the Bible, and he does it now. Yeah. But let me clarify. Please do not look at the amazing things God does and go, wow, ain't like that neat? That's so neat. Wow. <laughs> All right, let's go home. If that is the best we can do, my friends, we're focusing on the bread and not the bread maker. We're focusing on the bread and not the bread of life. Focus on him. The things he does, don't misunderstand me. Walking on water, that's pretty amazing. Multiplying the bread, pretty amazing. But let me tell you, that's not the point. The point is him. The bread points to him. The water points to him. All the miracles he's done, they point to him. Focus on the bread maker. Focus on the bread of life. Quit focusing on the bread. Oh, quit focusing on the bread. I don't say this as someone who has always focused on the bread of life and never been distracted. We all have a little ADHD to our faith. We all get pretty easily distracted from the things that we should focus on. From Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We get really distracted by all those other things. But he's constantly calling us back. And it's never too late to focus on the bread of life and forget about the bread. You feast on the bread of life, you're never going to go hungry again. It was a long day for the disciples, but if they'd feast on the bread of life, I guarantee you they wouldn't have gone hungry. Because he is the thing that it's all been pointed to. He is what matters. Focus on the bread of life. Focus on the bread maker. Forget about the bread. Jesus is far greater than any of those silly things we would make up to distract ourselves with. Jesus is greater than all of the little fights that we have all of the little skirmishes that we get involved in, all of the things that we would split the Lord's church over, Jesus is far more important than all those things. He is greater than all those things. And if I could just put it as simply as I possibly could, Jesus is greater than all the things. Jesus is. He's the best thing since sliced bread. listening to the text and context podcast if you're interested in some other great content then you can go over to my website it's txt and con it's text and context without ease in it so again that's txt txt.com. Head on over there and check out a bunch of free resources and plenty of articles about a wide range of topics, as well as book reviews and plenty more. Thank you for listening.